You're listening to Car Seat Questions, a podcast for parents of curious kids. I'm Lauren. And I'm Eddie. And if you're anything like us, you either have a kid or you care for a kid with questions. Questions about all sorts of things. And if you have a kid with questions, you yourself probably have questions like, how do I engage my child on hard topics in a way that is honoring to God and digestible for a developing brain and a childlike spirit? If that's you too, we're glad you're here. We don't have all the answers, and we won't pretend like we do, but we are grateful to know some really smart, godly people whose expertise is in the hearts, minds, and souls of little ones growing up in today's world. So, for the next half hour, hop into the passenger seat, buckle your belt, and become childlike with us as the Lord takes us where He wants us to go. Enjoy the show! Sarah! Hi! Hi! We are just really excited to have you. There's a lot of reasons we want to have you to talk about this today. But first, can you introduce yourselves to the listeners and who you are and a little bit of your story? Uh, sure. Um, my name is Sarah Lane. I was once a Scarland. So Sarah's Garland, if you're an alumni, woo woo. Um, my husband and I moved out of Chicago in 2018 after being uh, students of Moody Bible Institute and getting married and living there for four years together, we decided that we wanted to change. We wanted to not have our kids in the city. So we decided to kind of throw a dart at a dartboard and landed in Maine. (laughs) Um, So we've been here for almost five years, which is wild to think about. It'll be five years in February. And we have two daughters, um, four and two, and expecting our third baby in May. I'm a stay-at-home mom. My husband is a welder at a welding place here in town. We are um, active members of our church and lead a very quiet and peaceful life right now. And Sarah and her husband Aiden are some of our very best friends. So we're so excited and pleased to have Sarah with us. Um, So today we're going to talk about interracial adoption which, Sarah, if you want to kind of tell us a little bit of your backstory with interracial adoption. Um, so my story begins in 1988. Um, I was born in January, which is the summer in Colombia. So I was born in Bogota, Colombia, to um, a very young girl. I actually know very little about my birth mother. Um, I didn't have an official birth certificate or birth document, um, to my knowledge, um, until many years later when I went searching for it. And the story was basically that she was very young and she abandoned me to a convent. Um, And they took me in, as is their duty. Um, My birth mother named me Monica. And at the time, um, Columbia was in a kind of a state of, it was just a mess. It was very violent. the drugs were just a thing that, you know, everybody knew about. You know, it was the United States was fighting against the drugs in Colombia. And so Colombia was a mess. And so a lot of families would send their their young daughters to the capital of Colombia mm-hmm. to work for the rich people. They'd send them to wow. Bogota. They'd send them to Medellin or they send them to the coast because um, that's where the big money was. And so the story was that there were a lot of babies being born Mm. out of situations that were less than ideal. Um, And this was most likely my story. Like I said, I don't know for sure. We just know that my mother was very young. Um, 
what I think as a mother now, um, I when I think of her um, having a baby very young, um, continuing with a pregnancy that she knew she would eventually not be able to love yeah. this child. Um, I think it's extremely humbling that yeah. my birth mother chose the greatest act of love was to give me to somebody else to take care of. So yes, so move, kind of bouncing around my adopted parents, Earl and Valerie. Um, my dad is an immigrant from Norway and my mom is um, American. She's actually like the only person uh, born on American soil. So she is the true American of her family. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at the, my, my dad uh, arrived to the United States in 1964 and he met and married my mom who was a nurse in upstate New York. And um, their story is a special one on its own. But they tried, my mom has lupus and they tried for years to have kids. And due to the disease, um, they were unable. And so they did the fertility treatments um, they went through. And again, at that time, all of this was fairly new. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it's not like today, you know, 35 <laughs> years later, things are very different in the fertility world. Yeah. But my parents could not have kids. And so rather than continuing to fight for that dream, they just stopped, which I actually think um, was very bold and, and brave um, because they, they kind of accepted this isn't going to happen this way, but we want children. Um, my parents are both believers. And so they they started with my older brother. So I'm one of three adopted children. Um, my older brother's name is Eric. He was born in Chile in 1986. Um, again, very similar situation. You know, all of our birth mothers gave us that because they could not provide a life that they thought was acceptable for a child. Um, so they adopted my brother at, I want to say seven weeks. He was very small, mm, malnourished. Yeah. Um, he came, At seven weeks old, he weighed 11 pounds. Oh, my God. So, so just really, you know, just not great situations. Yeah. But um, they, my parents worked with an adoption agency based out of New York City. And um, they dealt with adoptions in Latin America. And I asked my parents, like, well, why the Latinos? Like, what was your thing with them? And my mom was just like, yeah, we, we didn't care. Like, you could have come from anywhere. We just wanted, mm. we knew we wanted children and we knew we wanted to love someone else's children in the way that we were mm. supposed to and God asked us to. Um, and so it just so happened that that adoption agency just worked with little Latino babies. Um <laughs> So, and I, I think, I'm like, you just wanted the most beautiful of us, but whatever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so my parents, um, so they adopted Eric when he was seven weeks old. In 88, they adopted me from Colombia. Um, and I was five months old. I actually came in a hip brace. Um, so, again, like, you know, not, I wasn't healthy. Um, and then my younger brother, Gabriel, is from Guatemala. And he, I was four when he came and his adoption was the only one where one of my parents didn't didn't go to that country so like my parents mm -hmm. both went to chile to get eric in 86 and my mom and my grandma went to bogota to get me um, because my dad was home with my brother and then gabriel because guatemala um again just i mean to this day it's just a mess it's very very dangerous um tons of gang activity he was brought up to Texas. And so we went to Texas mm -hmm. as a family and got Gabriel. And I can still remember that. Um, and so that was very, very special. 
thanks for sharing with us. I know that's sensitive and personal, so I really appreciate you sharing with Absolutely. that us. I think with that that with us, I think that'll help our listeners just get an idea of who you are and that you this is your lived experience, and so you are the expert and the person that should be talking about this with us. I think this kind of came, has started to like come to my mind a lot. One of my coworkers has a son that they adopted from China. And so he's always just kind of telling stories about his son and like where he's at. And I think he's six or seven now. And he told me two stories that I want to share with you. One was um, they were at an Asian restaurant eating noodles. And he said, Papa, you can't use chopsticks, only me, because I'm Chinese. <laughs> so, which That's is, like, so, so sweet and yeah. cute because he's recognizing, like, oh, like, this is a Chinese or, like, an Asian culture thing, and you're not. And so that, for me, was, like, oh, kids are, like, picking up on these yeah. things, even at, like, young ages of, like, cultural differences, too. Right. And then the other story he told was, this is, like, somewhat recently, is he's starting to realize, like, how they look differently. And so he actually went up to his dad and he pushed his eyelids back and he said, oh, you look like me now. And it's like, oh, you're starting to recognize that most children look like their biological parents and you don't look like us. And so just another like tender moment of a small person realizing, oh, there's something different here. And... I'm not, and at that age, like, I'm not sure, like, what it is, but I'm realizing and recognizing the difference in in us, even as a family. So that's kind of, like, where we want to go with you today is just talking about how to care for the hearts and minds of children that are a part of an interracial adoption, that have been adopted by a family that does not look like them. And so if it's all right, we just want to kind of ask you some questions about your experience or even what you would do today if you were, uh, you know, adopting someone of a different race. Um, mm. So if what if a child came up to you and asked, like, why do people look different than me? Like, why do the people in this family look different than me? What do you feel like is a caring way for their little, their tiny little hearts and minds to, like, answer that and be honest but still answer the question? That's so much to unpack. Right, because there's, there's so many different colors and looks and shapes and sizes. But when you're talking about a child, um, even with my girls, who, despite my dark features, don't actually really <laughs> look like me. Um, you know, they have features that belong to me, but both of my girls are like blonde and hazel eyes. And so yeah. they've also asked me a very similar question. And granted, mm-hmm. I bore them, right? And so I've, I've kind of... Um, thought, uh, thought about this question. So for me growing up, um, you know, I have dark skin, I have dark hair and dark eyes. And like both of my parents look very Nordic, like petite, Mm -hmm. blonde, blazing blue eyes. And so this was a question that I asked my mom, um, all the time. And when I was, when you gave me this question to think about, um, I thought about her response to me, which was, her first answer was how much she loved me. I love you. Mm-hmm. I am your mama and I love you. And you mm-hmm. look different from me because that's how God made us. And at the so growing up, my mom mm-hmm. was a knitter and a sewer. 
Um, and so she'd have this like spread of knitting magazines and sewing magazines. I can remember <laughs> looking through them. And a lot of those magazines growing up had pictures of like mommy and me. You know, they have like mm-hmm. the mom pattern and then the, the kid pattern. And I can distinctly remember looking through this Vogue knitting magazine and seeing these mommies and me and they all looked the same. And I don't even know how old I was. I couldn't have been older than four. And I looked at her and I was like, why don't I look like you? And she didn't. It's really hard to like have a concrete answer yeah. other than God gave us you. And in this part of the world, mm. this is how these people look. And she went mm. to another book. I don't. It was, it was probably like an encyclopedia. And we looked at Latin America and we looked at pictures of people who looked like me. And that was the first time I remember looking at Colombia on the map. And granted, mm-hmm. I can't, you know, you as a child, you, you're not expected to fully understand all that it meant. But it did give me a place. And she also took the time to show me other pictures of people who looked like me from that area. And so I think when you're talking to a child, um, don't discredit their intelligence. Um as, you know, because a child who is old yeah. enough will, will ask that question. Um, mm-hmm. And so if they're asking the question, don't give them, um, oh, it's just because you're special and I think you're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They, actually, they actually have the brains to conceptualize probably more than you're going to give them credit for. And so I would encourage a parent to take the time to say, actually, this, you know, from your friend, these are how people look in China. Look how beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and, and understanding that this is what Americans look like, even though Americans are all over the map, but like, you know, mm-hmm. or, or yeah. this is what Nordic people look like. And so I'll allow them to explore that in a place of safety. And it's okay to say, I don't know. It's how God made us. Mm-hmm. You know, we all look different and that is okay. Um, yeah. So I think, again, just rather than trying to dumb down an answer, because it is a hard question. Mm-hmm. Why do we look yeah. the way? Like, why do we look different? Well, God gave us and put you in our family. The people where you come mm-hmm. from will look like this. Look how beautiful. I think you saying God, your your mom saying God put you in our family is so sweet. That is like such a sweet way to say that, to say like we're different, but like God put you here. So you're meant to be here. And it's like yes. a, another way to reassure that you belong here, that you yes. are a part of this family and you belong with us, even if you don't look like us. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's fascinating how children ask these questions. And, and something important you said, Sarah, was like, I think sometimes we fail children in discrediting mm-hmm. their intelligence or discrediting how much they actually understand. Right. And that's just because we see the world different than them, but the way they see the well, the way they see the world isn't wrong. It's just right. coming from a very literal sense, right? Yes. And so they are asking questions based on what they can see, right, and not so much what they understand in the moment, right? You know, and so like when I hear stories like this, I'm just like, man, like he he's just seeing like what's given to him, yeah, you know, or her in in this scenario, and they're genuinely curious, right? You know, and I think sometimes as adults or even as parents was like caught off guard, like you don't understand how like profound the question you just asked me, right. you know what I mean? And again, like we just shouldn't assume that uh, they're not going to understand what we, what the answer is. And, right. you know, Trey is, he's only 
too, and he understands a lot more than I <laughs> and I gave him credit for. <laughs> sure. um, so I think I'm just like really learning that, yeah. um, just on the fly as a yes. parent. Yes. Um, and so with with being um, again adopted into a family from a different culture, a different part of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your experience, how how did you navigate um, like being a part of both cultures, right? Because now, like both of those cultures are yours, right? You know, it's not a, it's not like w- them and me, you know. Like s- same thing for for our son. You know, Trey is going to be both from Lauren's family and from my family background. So, like in your in your experience, how did you uh, navigate? those cultural differences, but also make the connections with both? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think throughout this conversation, I think I need to preface my answer with, I was truly blessed to have parents who loved the Lord, um, who loved each other and who loved us deeply. And so that is not everybody's story and, but that happens to be mine. And so, um, so much of my family and cultural bringing was because we had parents who cared about both worlds. Um, so culturally, I was raised actually Norwegian. Um, right. We celebrated, um, you know, Norwegian Independence Day. We celebrated our our Christmas holiday in a very Norwegian style. I spent. Um, lots of time in Norway with my dad's family. And so that was a huge part of our lives. My mom just like, she loved that. Um, And so there are things that I do to this day with my family um, that are Norwegian because it's how I was raised as part of me. Um, And so, um, and then on the other side, of course we were, you know, we were very American. We did the Halloween, we did the Thanksgiving, we had the 4th of July. So we kind of were all over the map when it came to like American or Norwegian culture. That being said, um, again, my parents were very hands-on in sharing the Latino culture with us as Mm. best as they could. Neither Mm. of them were Latino, right? And so it's not like they they didn't speak Spanish. They didn't have any inkling of what really went on, um, but they they sure tried. Um, so, for instance, my mom would try to cook uh, with like Latin spices. She would make new meals, and she would go to the Colombian section of the cookbook and try that kind of meal. She do the same with chili. She do the same with Guatemala. Um, we listened to a lot of different music um, that came from those countries. So she tried to integrate things that were part of what would have been our heritage had we stayed in our respective Mm -hmm. countries. For instance, Cinco de Mayo, which is a Mexican holiday, right? (laughs) So it wasn't even, (laughs) it wasn't even ours, but America does it really well, sort of. Um, (laughs) So, you know, every, every 5th of May, we we would have a big party because we're not, you know, all the Latinos are. Um, And so she, (laughs) she would try, um, just she would really try to if there was anything that looked remotely like Latin American, um, she would get us involved in that thing. Um, there was an exhibit in Albany, um, and it was a Hispanic painter. Again, I don't remember who it was, but she was like, We're going, like this is part of who you should know who this is. <laughs> um yeah. so she she was always very excited about it. And then when we were um probably I would say in second grade, um, she was really very uh attentive and trying to teach us spanish 
which is hard mm-hmm. to do um, when you're yeah. in school without having an immersion. Mm-hmm. It can be done, but it's hard. Um, so again, I was raised with a very, like, she would try so hard to show us what it could have been like, you know, the colors, the sounds, the music, their holidays, the flags. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think, you know, my mom, she never shied away from it. You know, it was never too loud. Um, for instance, um, you both knew me in my younger days. Like I grew up um, in a very Hispanic part of town. Um, so it's very Puerto Rican. And, um, you know, all of those girls had their own, <laughs> own flair for all of the things, you know, it was the yes. nails, it was the hair, it was yes. the big gold earrings. And I loved it. Um, yeah. but, but we lived on a farm, you know, 15 miles outside of town, but I loved it. And I played basketball for the town. And, um, I can remember being like, mom, like I want, I want those nails. And she, and I, mm-hmm. and I remember having like sort of a trepidation about it. And she was like, okay. Let's look at you the nails. And that was huge for me because yeah. I thought she was going to say no. We were a very mm-hmm. conservative family. Um, and instead, she saw that um, as a part of me trying to fit into something that I wasn't quite a part of. Um, yeah. and, and like, so I think, you know, again, to my parents' credit, um, the, when it came to trying to integrate us or like pay attention to things that we were drawn to some of is just nature you know we have this nature versus nurture some of who i am is just mm-hmm. it's because i'm colombian 100 mm-hmm. um and it's yeah. not because of my parents so like my mom and my parent my parents were very like yeah let's go do that thing if you love it if you love the gold hoops we'll get them for you <laughs> if you want the fat farm shoes <laughs> let's do it <laughs> Y'all remember wow, Fat Farm? Fat farm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I used to have Fat Farm cologne. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. So I think, you know, they, um, again, to their credit, they did a really good job with that. So I yeah. grew up having a knowledge of both, I guess, all three, like the American, the Norwegian, mm-hmm. and an attempt, a really hearty attempt at what Latino culture might have yeah. been like. And we know that you later in life had your own journeys um, into going into Hispanic places. I believe you were in Colombia, right? So was. And how did you choose to do that? And like, what was that experience like for you feeling like connecting back to your roots? Um, boy, the Colombia trip was its own beast um, mm-hmm. because I was older and I thought right. I was ready for it. By the time I went to Colombia... Mm-hmm. I had actually already been to the Dominican with my family. Okay. I'd gone to the Dominican for vacation, for mission trips. I'd been to Costa Rica. Um, and before I ever got to Colombia, I had, because of the Spanish thing, I really, really wanted mm-hmm. to learn Spanish. So I grew up, I went to one year of Bible college in upstate New York. Um, and that same Bible college has campuses all over the world. And so I went to Word of Life Bible Institute in Argentina for almost three years to learn Spanish. And I came out speaking fluently, but I didn't do that until I was an adult. And I think that was one of the first um, like steps of my own volition that I took to really like taking back, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, part of who I believed I was. Um, So after Argentina, um, I went to Moody. And in 2010, one of my best friends, Allie, she worked with an orphanage in Bogota. 
And of all the countries and of all the traveling I had done, I had yet to go to Colombia. I had yet to return. Um, and I think that was like partially a subconscious fear. Um, yeah. So it was, let's see, it was the summer of 2011 between um, semesters that I went to Colombia on this mission trip. And I thought I was ready. Like I spoke Spanish by then, you know, I was an adult and um, mm-hmm. not a child. And I went and I think it was so much more like emotional than I had anticipated, like stepping foot in my place of birth, yeah. um, you know, having left it as, as a baby. I didn't remember anything, nothing. Um, when I was in Argentina, other Colombians would say, oh my gosh, you are so Colombian. Like you look like this part of Colombia. You act exactly like us. It was just, it was a really like uncanny thing to me. Like mm-hmm. I, I am, you know, the, I am with this group of people and we are very similar. And that was strange. And so landing in Colombia, um, and Colombians can be, you know, very, very dark and very, very mm-hmm. fair. And so th- again, yeah. it's just a very broad spectrum of like looks. And um, so returning was healing um, while it was also very like soul bearing. Um, yeah. There is a lot, I think every year on my birthday, I think of my birth mother. And, um, you know, there will be unanswered questions there until the day I die. Um, yeah. But I can't help but think of her, right? Like, Mm-hmm. No matter what the situation, if you gave birth, you remember that birthday, right? Yep. And um, and so being in Colombia, feeling a sense of responsibility, like I don't know who she is, where she is, if she's still alive, I knew nothing. So there was there was like guilt because I'd had this life that she afforded me, but mm-hmm. what what where did she end up? But I, I didn't have any yeah. tools to find her. Um, while also literally going, so we were we were working with an orphanage. Um, so going and seeing these children right. of who I should have been, mm. you know, these street kids. Um, the majority of them, their mothers are prostitutes or drug addicts. Like that should have been my story. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Um, but but for the grace of God, right? But for the yeah. grace of God, it wasn't. And so, um, yeah, I think Columbia was, again, like a lot mm-hmm. to deal with. But my purpose there was to kind of like come to terms with who I was and what God had written out for me at the same time acknowledging the miraculousness of it. Yeah, totally. How do you and how have you since you know, since those trips and maybe even just growing up, how do you and how would you explain to another child that's adopted to hold both at the same time? Like, how can you hold growing up in a Norwegian American family and also be Colombian? How do you and would you suggest to someone else to hold two true things at once? Oh, I see it through the lens of somebody who knows Jesus, right? And so I think... When I think of my answer, I'm thinking like that that is all I've got because if you look at it through any other lens, it can be very traumatic. You know, there are a lot of things mm-hmm. that come up um, for someone who might not have that hope of the Lord because um, without the Lord, 
there are so many unknowns and so many things that are unhopeful in our world. And so when, when I hold my adoption, right, both my, my heritage and the adoptive parents who are the only parents who've ever loved me, right? That was mm-hmm. unconditional love with the birth mom. I will probably never meet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only way I can do that in a healthy way without kind of reeling, like, and asking my myself these hypothetical questions that I won't have the answers to yeah. um, is to stay in hope of what I do have, of the story mm-hmm. that Jesus gave me through my parents. And again, if you're talking to a child about this, well, like, because it can, you know, you can get really deep and you can get into your head. Well, did she not love me? Why didn't she pick me? What was the situation? I don't know. But you're here and now and God gave you to us. And I think the like the only reason I had that is because it was reiterated so many times to me and my brothers. Like it wasn't an accident. We were never an accident. If anything, we were on this earth to be put into the family that we were in now. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think I think it's it's hard to say like how how do we hold that tension because I have certainly met other kids who are adopted and they don't have the story I have or they had abusive mm-hmm. parents or whatever that may be mm-hmm. and to look those yeah. kids in the face and say just trust in God it can feel mm-hmm. really insincere. Um, yep. mm-hmm. This was God's plan for you, you know. Back and I think that's hard um, to honestly say because I think each child at the end of the day needs to know that they are valued and loved yeah. by someone and that person is God. And so the people with yeah. the worst stories, when they find Jesus, that is their only anchor. Mm-hmm. And I mean that with my yeah. whole heart. Like, I'm not just saying that because like, um, this is a moody podcast. Like the <laughs> yeah, Lord <absolutely>. knows, <laughs> like yes. the Lord knows that that is my story. Like yep. there, have, there are other things in my life that had it not been for Jesus. Um, it yeah. would have ended up very differently. No, that's something you've always proclaimed and have always been upfront and honest about and you don't shy away from saying. So we know and we believe you when you say that. You're not just saying it for today. I have like such a, when I think about parents who put their children up for adoption, I, ha- I have such empathy for them. Sunshine. I think more now like being a mom. Yeah. It's like I have so much empathy. Like the probably heart-wrenching emotions that they had to go through to make yes. that decision. And so, yeah, I just have so much empathy for your birth mom, all the birth yes. moms and dads in the world who have had to make that decision and in hopes that their biological kids are going to have a better life than they right. can give them. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I just, I think I, I, um, I love how you have carried yourself in this conversation with mm-hmm. us because I don't, I don't know. I can only assume, but I think as someone who's adopted is it would be very easy for you to be angry. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm sure you've had maybe times where you were angry at your parents or your biological mom, but like the way that you talk about them now. Mm-hmm. And again, like we, like we understand this is not everyone's story, but the way you talk about them now is just so, I don't know. It's like, and so encouraging to hear how uh, God has carried you oh, through uh, this entire um, process of your life to where you can come to a point where um, 
like you still think about your your birth mom, mm-hmm. right? And you don't you don't blame her Forever. or you don't live with uh you know a certain amount of guilt, you know, because of it. And I think that's just also like a beautiful yeah. story, right? Yeah. Um of someone who has been, you know, adopted into um interracial family. And so we have um two more questions. Okay. We want to ask you, um, and they could probably just kind of go together. Yeah. Um, so one of them is, what would be a misconception um, that's not helpful mm-hmm. for kids, and um, what would be one thing that you would want uh, kids to know who are either in an interracial family situation or who are uh, maybe close to someone. Uh, who is adopted into an interracial family? I think a, mic- a misconception, um, and there's there's two, and they and they go together. Um, one is that the adoption should be a secret. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people, uh, adults, unless you're in, and this is, I guess, this would apply to an adoption where the child might end up looking like their adoptive parents, right? Like if you. And you know, are a white family, and you adopt a white child, like it would, pro- you might be more inclined to keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that um, any adoption, uh, whether you are black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whether you're one of those parents, you, like don't keep it a secret. Um, it is, it isn't a secret. It's not mm-hmm. something that's secretive. It's a joyful mm-hmm. thing to be celebrated. And I have met adults who didn't know that they were adopted. Um, and that is wow. very, very damaging for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I think the more that we can normalize adoption, um, but also celebrate it, offer it yeah. as an alternative mm-hmm. um, and get it out there that there are other places things to do with an unwanted child or an undesired child or whatever it may be. Um, I think that that is something that we need to continue to just rally forth and do. But again, I think a misconception is that, oh, it's a secret. You know, no, it's not. (laughs) Celebrate this thing. Yeah. Um, It changed my life. It could change yours. And again, another misconception is, and then this is one that that I walked through, um, was that I wasn't wanted. Um, Mm. I actually... On the contrary, I think most kids who end up being, especially those who are adopted as babies, were wanted desperately. Yeah. yeah. Um, like you said, Lauren, like the empathy that you have for birth mothers. Like I, like when mm-hmm. I think about my my birth mother and my brother's birth mothers, or, yeah. um, most likely they held us. They held us. Yeah. You know, they birthed, mm-hmm. and then they gave away, and so. You were wanted desperately. And in the same way, I was wanted by Earl and Valerie in upstate New York desperately. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, every, every child should feel their innate worth um, from beginning mm-hmm. to end. And I, so I think, again, with that, every adoption should be celebrated. Every child is valued. Um, yeah. Can you repeat the second part of the question? Yeah, you might have kind of answered it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the other one was, uh, what was one thing uh, you'd want kids to know about interracial adoption? Um, and I think what, what you said about how you would want 
kids to know that they are loved yes and that they are wanted and that's that's so uh important when you're talking about being wanted like in a in a family yes you know like yeah i i want to know that i'm loved and i i want to know that i'm wanted regardless of of how i look yes you have a place and yeah. again, going back to one of that, you know, one of our very first topics was um, that kids understand and see more than we give them credit for. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, from the very beginning, if you can give a child a place and a home and hope, they will sense that and they will feel that. And that's why they tell us when we have our kids, like, make sure you hold them close. They can feel your heartbeat. Mm-hmm. They can hear your voice, you know, mm-hmm. even in the womb. Um, like from the beginning, we are meant to be loved and to love. And yeah. so as an, you know, someone who is an interracial adopted person, um, that was my story. I was so loved that I, even though the questions came and those questions, I think everyone can admit that they're teen years are somewhat tumultuous, whether or not you're an adopted child. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so my questions came during those awful teen years where like, right. well, you know, did she not want me? Did you want me? Like, why do I, why are these things the way they are at the end of the day? It's just on repeat. Like we wanted you, we loved you and that will cover mm-hmm. So much, you know, at the end of the day, if you play, if you have a place of home, um, that is one of the most important things you can give a child. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. It's been a really great conversation. I try not to sit back here and blubber while you (laughs) talk. So (laughs) being a mom really changes you Uh, into someone more sensitive. (laughs) Yeah. I can't, uh, I can't explain how, um, just how blessed at least I have been mm-hmm. uh, in this conversation with you and with you being one of our dear friends just makes it that much more yeah. special as if we were just sitting in your kitchen right yeah. now, you know, talking about this and talking about something that is important, yes. uh, especially for our children mm-hmm. and for children who uh, might go through right. this. Um, so thank you, thank you. for talking to us and uh being vulnerable absolutely i I know that's not that's not an easy thing to do um with all of our episodes we like to end with a benediction um so if you would join me to him who is able to do far more than we can understand may he give us the wisdom to raise our children to first love god above all else and love others as themselves go in peace thank you so much amen thanks sarah